Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Thomas Glucksman, uh, the head of marketing at Gatecoin.com, G-A-T-E, Gatecoin.com. Thomas, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks very much for your time today, Richard. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. So tell me about Gatecoin. Uh, what do you guys do? So Gatecoin is a cryptocurrency and blockchain token exchange. Uh, we're headquartered in Hong Kong, but we have uh, clients from all around the world. Uh, we cater to both uh, individuals and also to institutions that are interested in trading or investing in various different cryptocurrencies. Uh, Gatecoin um, was actually the first exchange in the world to list Ether back in uh, August 2015, so it's been two years already. And we were also the first exchange to list um, Ethereum ERC20 tokens. So we began with uh, REP, which is a token of uh, the Orga project. And um, we recognized the sort of innovation um, that was happening in the Ethereum space quite early on. So we wanted to get in touch with many of the DAP founders at an early stage, which enabled us to also um, start an interesting uh, sort of additional business aside from the exchange, which was actually underwriting many of these token sales. So I think we're one of the only exchanges in the world that also uh, does that. And after we did this for a few projects, um, we were then also in a position to even consult companies who were um, considering, you know, whether, let's say, a token sale was um, worthwhile for their business or proposed application or platform. So now we're actually able to offer kind of a full life cycle service for um, exchange for uh, applications or project founders that want to, um, you know, develop a tokenized ecosystem. So not only do we consult on the viability of tokenization, but also we help to uh, help them to raise funds for the token sale, and then we list the token on our exchange, and then help with other um, promotional activities. So it's almost like acting like the investment bank and the exchange and the kind of you know the, the consulting firm for the like the blockchain token ecosystem. So, so far, most of these tokens we list are the 
ERC20 or ERC23 standard tokens. Um, but in right. the future, we would be, you know, very happy to list other kinds of blockchains. So we're very excited about, um, you know, the the eventual launch of like Tezos, um, you know, other innovations uh, which are, you know, in the pipeline with other kind of blockchain technologies too. Um, another important point about Gatecoin is the fact that we also deal with fiat currency. So although there's many exchanges out there that deal with, you know, the ERC20 tokens, um, we also, you know, fortunately and unfortunately have to deal with the existing banking system because we also have uh, markets for, uh, you know, USD, Euro and Hong Kong dollar. Uh, and because right. we deal with the fiat system and because we uh, want to maintain good relationships with our banking customers. From the start, we've always been very much um, involved in having stringent AML and KYC practices. Of course, many people in the crypto space, you know, they they're not always a fan of um, you know such kind of procedures. But for us, uh, we've always been kind of in favour of of regulation in favor of licensing. Um, so for example, in Hong Kong, uh, cryptocurrency businesses and exchanges aren't regulated at all. However, in our case, we decided to um, get a money service operator license, which is quite similar to a money service business or money transmitter business license that available uh, in the US. The reason right. why we did that is because right. we wanted to kind of show to not only our clients, but also our prospective banking partners that we take, um, you know, that we have enforced AML and KYC procedures. Uh, and in the future, we'll, um, we're actually in the process now of trying to acquire licenses in other jurisdictions. So these could be also in the kind of payments or remittance area. Um, but also, you know, considering now the way that many regulators are considering the status of uh, tokens, you know, as kind of they're um, being considered as equity and therefore, you know, the exchanges listing them need to be considered as, you know, licensed kind of uh, securities exchanges, etc. So we'll also um, be applying for uh, the applicable licenses in all the jurisdictions where we have uh, like physical operations and bank accounts, et cetera. So it'll probably take us. All right. All right. So, so you guys have a fiat gateway. You, you have a special licenses, which is great. Yeah. And then you also help uh, ICOs get set up and, and running and trading and everything, all those things. Exactly. Yeah. So in, in the future, you know, we kind of want to be the, uh, uh, that kind of overall gateway to the, to the DAP ecosystem. Um, and that's what, what we're about, trying. That's um, what we. I've heard rumblings, you know, uh, especially the last few days in the news about the SEC and that it's considering yeah. certain token securities, and that uh, you know we saw with the BTCE shutdown that companies that <clears throat> work with uh, customers in the U.S. are um, you know are still reachable by the U.S. and you know being able to be shut down. So. What's your opinion? What are you seeing right now in the in the ecosystem? And you know, will you have to change how you list tokens? Uh, will you have to restrict Americans? You know, what what's your situation at Gatecoin? Yeah, so um, we're always very aware that, uh, especially as a foreign based exchange, that um, you know we want to do everything we can not to irk the regulators or the law enforcement authorities in the U.S. So from the very start, we've always um, uh, let's say limited the types of US clients that we've onboarded. 
So what I mean by that is um, before we actually onboarded any U.S. residents, we got in touch with each state regulator individually and asked them, okay, look, this is our status. Will you be comfortable with us onboarding residents from your state? If so, will you allow you know crypto to crypto exchange or crypto to fiat, etc.? So after that uh, survey, we basically ended up being able to onboard U.S. residents from about five or six states to do both fiat and crypto, um, and a few others for crypto to crypto. And then there's some states in which we can't onboard any residents from those states. So for example, like uh, New York State, where you know we would need the bit license, California, etc. Uh, with regard to the, you know, the SEC's latest announcement, it doesn't really affect us right now. Um, for one, because we don't really see these regulators enforcing anything for quite a while. Um, and if they do, uh, I mean, we've got the advantage where, although you know, we've been kind of an early mover in this space, we're not one of the like one of the largest exchanges in the world, so we don't really enter the radar. Um, as much as, let's say, uh, you know, some of those really huge exchanges. Um, but at the same time, we're always very transparent about what we do. Um, and the good thing is we already have existing relationships with American uh, law enforcement because they have uh, representatives in, in Asia and in Hong Kong. Um, so we've always been communicating about exactly what we're doing. Um, but it's not just the, the SEC um, or, let's say, the American regulators that we have to be kind of communicating with or um, thinking about. For example, many of the kind of definitions or requirements that the, the SEC proposed are also relevant in, in Hong Kong, actually. The only difference is, is that the securities regulator in Hong Kong, which is called the Securities and Futures Commission, just hasn't communicated anything yet. In fact, the only regulator we've seen which has actually provided very, very clear guidelines or even like a step-by-step -step process or direct recommendations was the Canadian um, Securities Administrators, which is quite interesting. So it's either showing that maybe Canada wants to maybe encourage uh, more development in this like tokenization um, or it just means that they just want to be clearer and more specific. So it's kind of interesting that Canada is, is, is so far is, is kind of leading the way in terms of defining very clearly, you know, this is what we expect. It's like follow the, um, you know, existing regulatory framework for securities issuance or you apply for exemption. Whereas the SEC, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, um, have basically said, okay, uh, you know, like the DAO was a security um, you know, but in all other cases, hire a lawyer and we'll assess it on a case-by-case -case basis. That's not very helpful for the majority of projects. Um, so it's nice to have some clear definitions coming through. And in the last week, we've heard news out of mainland China that the regulators in mainland China are also probably going to uh, release some similar guidelines because um, there are a lot of projects now happening in China, and of course, you know, there's lots of scams going on, and I think that, um, you know, it's obviously in their interest to protect the, uh, you know, the investors that might be vulnerable to a lot of these uh, scam projects. So why do you think, um, you know, places like Bitfinex pulled out of uh, interacting with U.S. customers? Why do some exchanges give up and throw their hands up, and why do, uh, you know, some not? I think with the with the largest exchanges, 
which haven't made that conscious effort to get the MSB licenses or the bit licenses. I think from the beginning, it it was always a matter of, I mean, they were always kind of playing with fire. Like you can't onboard that many clients from the US, become that large as an exchange, and also have such large volumes in USD without being in the crosshairs of American regulators. Um, so I think, you know, for, but then on the other hand, you have companies like uh, Bitflyer, which is one of the, I think, the largest exchange in Japan, which is now expanding quite rapidly into the U.S. through the acquisition of the um, the MSB MTB licenses. Um, so I think it really depends on the the approaches of those exchanges and also how strict those exchanges, AML, KYC processes have been since the beginning. So in our case, you know, when we uh, communicated with U.S. law enforcement, they were quite um, impressed about how stringent our AML KYC was and also how willing we were to kind of, you know, cooperate with them if they had any, you know, suspicions about uh, any of our, like, possible clients, things like that. Um, So for us, I mean, it's a very expensive and time-consuming process. And it's also something which is very frustrating about the states is that there's no federal regulation with regards to um, you know the exchange business. So you know, for us, you know, like I said before, the fact that we have to communicate with every single individual state regulator um, is a very frustrating, time-consuming process. And the fact that you know we're we're very selective about which U.S. customers we we onboard. Um, you know, we could simply just say you know we don't onboard any U.S. customers, but we don't want to limit uh, ourselves in that way. Um, but at the same time. You know, for us to let's say get all the licenses, we'd need like you know, maybe several million US dollars just to pay for the lawyers and all the other, um, you know, minimum capital requirements for each state, and it's really, really a, a nightmare and a headache. So I, I have a lot of respect for the exchanges based in the US that deal with fiat that have to kind of go, which are going through this process right now, uh, and also. Um, you know, for the other, let's say, foreign-based exchanges, which are kind of involved in this as well. It's uh, it's not an easy process getting involved in America. So for us, we're looking at jurisdictions where there's more of that high-level, widespread regulation for a larger market. So for example, the EU, we're going to apply for the, the EU payments license, EU security license, and that will you know, help us to, to onboard customers and to do business um, across, you know, the entire of the EU. I mean, we already do a large amount of business in the EU, but having the licenses helps us to work with more institutional investors, get more banking partners, etc. So what's a you know, other... AML KYC policy and what's a loose one? You know, what, what are some examples and you know, how do you carefully vet people? Why, why is your policy better? You know, like, I, this I haven't heard yet. What, what constitutes yeah, no, a strict it's, one versus it's, a loose one? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like um, our policy is better, but because our KYC AML process follows an existing regulatory framework. So since we are licensed as a money service operator, um, you know, we have to make sure that all of our client records are auditable. We have to do transaction monitoring. Uh, so in addition to just doing KYC on our clients, uh, we also need to make sure that if clients are transacting above a certain amount, um, we, you know, we require additional 
uh, documents from them. In many cases, we actually meet them in person or we do like a kind of more of an in-depth um, like Skype interview, things like that. Um, and also the the Customs and Excise of the Department of Hong Kong, which is our regulator, um, also requires us to do monthly reporting, uh, can do uh, office visits at any time. So we need to be able to make sure that we can share all the records and things like that. Whereas for some regimes where there's no um, you know, licenses or the regulator hasn't said that Bitcoin exchanges have to follow a specific license, they kind of do a best practice KYC AML, uh, which just means, okay, they verify the identity of their clients but that also maybe doesn't take into account whether clients are using fake IDs or if clients are making suspicious transactions, things like that. So that's why we take that extra layer. Um, and also, I'm not sure about other exchanges, but for us, we have very close relationship with uh, law enforcers. So um, the head of Europol's virtual currency task force is actually a close friend of our CEO. Um, we have spoken at conferences organized by Interpol uh, and also Europol. As I mentioned, we're, um, you know, we, we have uh, transparent uh, contacts with law enforcement agencies in the U.S., um, similarly with those in Hong Kong and Singapore. So I think that's why um, we, you know, we, we go that extra layer and why for us licensing is, is very important. So. Uh, like right now, we just closed a, a funding round of several million US dollars, and the majority of that funding is actually going towards um, helping us to get the, the necessary license, licenses that we need, um, either in jurisdictions where we're already present or in like new jurisdictions, so for example, in places like, uh, you know, possibly Japan, Australia. So, um, because I'm in the U.S. and a lot of people that listen to this podcast are in the U.S., what what are the states that you can work with customers in? Which ones you can't? You said California, New York, you can't. Which ones can you? Yeah. Um, just give me a second. I'm just looking at the the list. Um, so okay. we have a, a no problem. Big list. Yeah. Just give me, give me a second. Um, but we do accept um, U.S. citizens which reside overseas. Um, but we are a, a FATCA. Uh, compliant, uh, let's say, reporting institution, uh, which means that you know um, people still need to kind of declare their uh, uh, you know uh, tax derived from uh, trading on our exchange. Um, it was quite interesting when we announced this to some of our uh, U- U.S. overseas clients. Many closed their accounts, um, understandably, but uh, but you know again we we want to make sure that we are. Following all the necessary compliance and don't you know irk like to the IRS. So for the states that we do support both fiat and crypto, those are Illinois, Montana, New Mexico, and South Carolina. And for the ones um, where we don't, uh, we can't onboard any um, uh, residents at all. So that would be Arizona, California, Maine, New York, North Carolina. South Dakota, West Virginia, and Wyoming. But all other states, which I haven't mentioned, we can do crypto to crypto. Um, but we have a list of these on our website in our FAQ. Um, so if anyone is interested to know which states that we do support, um, they can visit our FAQ. 
and look at our account opening and verification area and they'll see a article which says does gatecoin accept u.s residents and u.s citizens overseas and they can see the, the list there what happens if you live in um, a state where you do accept people and then you move to one where you don't do you have to close your account or can you still use it um i mean we would inform people of oh you mean if you move to a new state um yeah well that's a good question actually um we haven't come across too many cases about that i mean perhaps maybe the clients aren't informing us when they move um but for example if it's like a bank uh you know like if if they change their bank address or things like that then there's not much you know we can do in those cases but we do they monitor like people sending large amounts of money and stuff like uh, if that's the case, but so far, most of our U.S. customers tend to be crypto to crypto, so we don't really face uh, those kind of right. issues. Are there reporting requirements for transaction size and, and crypto only? And what are the um, what are the sizes that would trigger, um, you know, reports being filed or activity being noted? Yeah. So, for example, um, for us, like w- what would trigger like a suspicious transaction kind of alert would be people either withdrawing very, very small amounts uh, on a very regular basis or so several times a day or for, you know, like very, very frequent or kind of large amounts um, going out like too regularly. Um, unless, of course, we know that it's like a company doing remittances or something like that, then, of course, you know, we would be aware that that's part of their business. But for example, some cases as well where, uh, let's say, funds were going to like, uh, different wallet addresses where we knew that it also belonged to like another client on our exchange, things like that. So usually amounts that are above 10,000 US dollars. And if we haven't, let's say, done the extra layer of like certifying the person's document and stuff, then we would um, freeze the account temporarily until we get extra information about the, the individual. So any amounts above um, like 10,000 US dollars. But now since the price of Bitcoin is so high, so we've increased this limit to 50,000 US dollars, we would you know require more information. Okay. I guess different levels of authorization in the account. Yeah, but in most cases, like we wouldn't freeze accounts unless we really had like, uh, you know, reasons to be very suspicious. So, for example, um, uh, last year we detected there was some activity from some clients in Canada. And at that time, we we had a, a colleague of ours who was from that part of Canada and was kind of flagging that it might be related to, um, you know, some possible uh, like, you know, criminal activity based on the profiles of like in the area where those people are living and things like that. So we managed to actually identify, uh, you know, what was going on and report this to the law enforcement authorities in Canada who advised us to actually, um, you know, keep track of what was going on so they could trace, you know, where the money was going. And then um, they actually helped them with, uh, with an investigation. So uh, in those cases, we, um, you know, we have to communicate straight away with law enforcement. Um, sometimes we we get cases where while we're onboarding clients, we actually find that oh they are um, from you know they we identify them as being on a terrorist watch list or a you know um, politically right. exposed person. In which case we first of all contact law enforcement and say look this guy is signed on. What do you want us to do? In some cases they actually want us to let them make some transactions just so they can trace what's going on, but 
when we explain this to the banks that we work with, of course, they don't want to make, um, you know, any lie, they don't want to have any liability on that side. So very often, we just have to, you know, close the account and then provide all the details of the of the people um, who sign on that we we end up you know, flagging for whatever reason uh, to the law enforcement. Um, so last couple of questions, what's on your guys's roadmap for the next uh, year or so? What new things are you coming out with? Or is it just continuing adding customers in more countries and more areas? Yeah, so, um, you know, as I mentioned on the, let's say, the the business side, um, setting up fully-fledged operations in Europe, so both in Switzerland, um, considering, you know, Switzerland's kind of status as the crypto valley of, uh, of the world, um, but also in the EU uh, as well, so in a jurisdiction um, in the EU, so possibly either France or Luxembourg or somewhere else like that. Um, also other areas of, uh, of Asia Pacific and on the, let's say, the, the exchange side, uh, we will actually be implementing payment channels, um, possibly earlier next year, since we have uh, members of our engineering team that actually contribute to, um, you know, development on, on Lightning. So hopefully we'll be able to um, have some payment channel implementations in the, let's say, the, the business side, um, setting up fully-fledged operations in Europe, so both in Switzerland, um, considering, you know, Switzerland's kind of status as the crypto valley of, uh, of the world, um, but also in the EU uh, as well, so in a jurisdiction um, in the EU, so possibly either France or Luxembourg or somewhere else like that. Um, also other areas of, uh, of Asia Pacific. Um, and on the, let's say, the, the exchange side, uh, we will actually be implementing payment channels, um, possibly earlier next year, since we have uh, members of our engineering team that actually contribute to um, you know, development on, on Lightning. So hopefully we'll be able to um, have some payment channel implementations for Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. Um, hopefully this also includes like Raiden network, not just the Lightning network. Um, we are also the, the Raiden network for Ethereum, which is basically similar to Lightning. Um, but oh, for, Raiden, okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's my accent. I always um, think of uh, Mortal Kombat. You know, the 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 lightning god Raiden shooting lightning out. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> um, yep. But it, uh, in addition, we're also creating a token sale participation platform where um, any of our clients will be able to participate straight away in a token sale through like a um, an interface on our platform, which means that. Um, the projects working with us um, know that at least all the participants taking part in their sale are all KYC'd. And it will also be easy for our clients because it means that actually they could participate in a token sale using the funds they have on the platform, which, is, which could also be USD, Euro, Hong Kong dollar. So instead of first converting into Bitcoin or Ether, they could actually directly participate in a token sale um, you know, using fiat currency. Yeah, so it will be like a kind of a instant token sale participation um, kind of feature of our platform. So in addition to trading, you could also, uh, you know, directly take part in all the token sales that we have, um, like that we that we would be supporting at that moment in time. Uh, and then the next kind okay. of layer after that is once many of these, um, you know, DAP projects actually launch and they have working applications is instead of you know first 
Um, and in order to use many of these applications, you need to have their native token. But in many ways, you know, getting their token, you first need to convert fiat into like Bitcoin or Ether and then get this um, token through an exchange. So we want to build an easy um, payments gateway so you could, you know, send a bank transfer or do a credit card transaction and instantly get, for example, like, um, you know, REP or Gollum or any of these other um, DAP tokens specifically to use in that DAP ecosystem. Um, so that will be the kind of the next uh, layer and apart from um, the token sale. And then on the trading side, right now we don't have too many advanced trading features, mainly because um, we were concerned about what this would mean on a licensing perspective. So once we kind of continue acquiring more licenses, for example, you know, being able to offer like derivatives um, and more exotic kind of financial products around crypto, um, that will be, um, you know, that will enable us to actually you know, offer these on our platform. And where we kind of see things going in the long term is not just focusing on um, tokens for you know, crypto or blockchain specific products, but actually working with um, companies to uh, uh, you know, kind of securitize um, or tokenize um, you know, securities for pre-IPO uh, startups or you know, SMEs, uh, and also um, tokenizing alternative assets. So this could be um, fine art, antiques, um, aircraft, and for that, we would be working with some financial institutions. So we're now t- talking with a few banks, um, art dealers, et cetera, um, to work on, uh, on building either an extension of our exchange or a new exchange um, to have this kind of global um, marketplace for uh, tokenized assets whether those assets are linked directly to equity in a, in a company or whether they're related to you know physical assets such as gold or even more exotic like um, uh, you know it could be collectibles or things like that in addition of course to the um, the more crypto native assets that we would be continuing to support too All right, well very good so um, how can people find more information about Gitcoin you know sign up for the exchange start interacting with you guys yeah so um yeah they can uh, visit our website at gatecoin.com we actually blog quite regularly so um blog.gatecoin.com um we uh, try to have a lot of information and we have a weekly newsletter which is called uh, blockchain asset weekly which we send out to all of our um all of our verified users and also we share this on our blog too and people can subscribe either for the newsletter or they can just follow our blog uh, which is um, published through me um, and also we tend to post different articles that we either from us or from you know the news we have on our Twitter account which is um, at Gatecoin. Okay well very good Thomas thank you so much for taking the time I really appreciate it. No, awesome. Thanks very much um, for the opportunity to speak and introduce our company and, uh, you know, look forward to uh, engaging again in the future. The Bitcoin, Ethereum and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17 and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, 
to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.